So today um, we're starting a new season, uh, a new series. We're looking at um, Luke's Gospel. And um, uh, there are all sorts of reasons for doing this. Uh, One of them is that we want to try and understand some of the practicalities of faith, which Luke particularly helps us to see. And uh, we've given this the kind of the overarching title of Make Life the Mission. You know, one of the things that we often do is we try and push faith and our life of faith into a little box we like to keep it kind of packaged off and um, what um, what we're trying to do in this series is to try and break out of that box and see that actually faith is something that affects the whole of our lives and uh, that we should be engaging with that in all sorts of different ways and uh, so make life the mission we're starting at Luke chapter one and um, let me uh, just tell you a few things about this before I actually read some of the verses. So um, you might have wondered, or maybe you didn't wonder, why we have four Gospels. Why do we need four stories about the life of Jesus? Well, uh, if you have read the Gospels, you will have noticed that actually the four writers come from different perspectives. And uh, Luke comes from a different perspective to the other three. And Mark, um, so when I'm telling you this, please understand that scholars sometimes are, uh, are still debating over the dating of some of these things. When you're dealing with stuff that's written 2,000 years ago, it's a bit difficult to kind of pin it right down. But um, scholars uh, reckon that Mark's gospel was written first. Mark, of course, was a, uh, a close friend and a disciple of the Apostle Peter. So Mark wasn't an eyewitness to events, but he gets all of his information from the Apostle Peter. Matthew, of course, was one of the original apostles, and he kind of uses Mark's gospel as a map to kind of lay out his gospel, but he adds stuff in and comes from a slightly different perspective because whereas Mark wants the whole world to get the message, Matthew is clearly very much concerned about the the Jews uh, as a nation and communicating the good news of the gospel to them. Then you get Luke come along, and uh, Luke was a, a companion of Paul, and many people would say that Luke's gospel is really... Paul's gospel because it makes the theological points that Paul would want to to make and then finally you get the apostle John whose apostle uh, whose gospel is entirely different because he's writing into a different context and we don't have time to go into that this morning but this stuff is very interesting at least to me hopefully to you so Luke um, let's uh, let's have a look here at uh, the first few verses um, of his gospel So, Luke chapter 1 at verse 1, it says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Um, Luke is writing to uh, apparently to somebody called Theophilus but Theophilus uh, could just mean us Theophilus could mean Christian Theophilus could just mean follower of of God so um, we've never been able to actually identify a a specific person called Theophilus so it's quite likely that Luke was kind of using this as a generic term to say dear Christian dear dear person of faith here is a message for you here is a a gospel for you and um, Luke also of course writes the sequel to his gospel he writes Acts so Luke actually is responsible for actually the the bulk of the New Testament 
and Paul of course comes in a close second so Luke and Paul together pretty much give us uh, the, the whole of the kind of the New Testament spectrum of uh, theology and understanding that will hopefully encourage us in our faith there's, there's some debate um, over Luke's gospel as to whether we should treat it as a theological work or a historical work because Luke has gone to great trouble to get you know facts and, and figures and dates and times and put everything together into an orderly account and so um, some theologians come at it as a bit like a history book others want to say uh, no actually it is a theology book because within it Luke tackles all the important things of faith and living in faith um, and actually I want to tell you this morning it's both it's both. Um, Luke has a really strong theological me- message for us, but it's framed in the, uh, all the times and dates and places and people that help us to know that actually he's done his homework. So when we receive the theological message, it's got a solid historical base to it so we can have some confidence in it. And indeed, um, that's why uh, Luke writes to us. So I don't know if you picked up um, that verse there, but Luke says this. He says that he writes, so that you may have certainty or conviction concerning the things you have been taught. He's written an orderly account. He's done his homework. He's done his research. He's spoken to eyewitnesses. He's got all of this wonderful information and theology from the Apostle Paul. And he has put all of this together in this work so that you can have some certainty, some conviction about your faith. That's his reason for writing. And as we go through these chapters, my hope is that you will pick up something fresh perhaps, that maybe you'll see things that you haven't seen before, but the, the, but the, whatever you see in it as we go through this gospel, it will cause something to rise up in you, that you will have a certainty about the things that you believe. Because if you don't carry a conviction about these things, it won't affect your life. There's a great deal of difference between education or information and revelation. So if you want to lean just to the history and, and ignore the theology, what you're going to get is, uh, is basically an education. You're going to get information. Um, and it will tell you the, the times and the places and the facts and figures, but you can kind of accept that as you would accept most history, and it doesn't particularly impact or change your life. Revelation is something entirely different. Now, Luke wants us to have the information so that it, it, it increases our confidence in what he's telling us, but he wants us to have a revelation, and a revelation is, is coming to a place of understanding about what is being said in such a way that it actually makes a difference in our lives. Revelation means that we see something in it that actually will change the way we think and the way we behave so that we become more of what God created us to be. And Luke's objective is to do both. He wants us educated. He wants us to have revelation as well though so that we can live with conviction. And um, conviction as you will see from my slide here means simply this, a firmly held belief. So it's not just about times and dates and facts and figures but it's about something above that that actually should uh, get into our lives and make a difference and you know one of the challenges I think of the of the church historically has been that we've been very good with the information we've been very good with the education but we've not been so hot with the revelation because if it's just information it's very easy to box it off and to not kind of respond to it and work with it but if it's revelation it stirs something up inside of you that causes you to do something about it. That's what revelation does. That's what it's designed to do. It causes us to actually respond in one way or another. 
The word uh, certainty there, or, or conviction is the word I'm kind of putting in its place this morning, means uh, to recognize, to become fully acquainted, to acknowledge, to perceive, and has a kind of a weight of not just understanding, but actually doing something in response to the understanding. If I'm convicted about something, it means I, I hold on to it like it's important. If I'm not convicted, I can take it or leave it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah? So we're talking about... Anybody else understand what I'm saying? Sue Yes? Okay, that's good. Okay. And Ruth... Ruth, stop it. Luke writes to us um, so that we will carry this understanding, this certainty, this conviction uh, that, that, that he wants to teach us through the Scriptures. If we have conviction then, reading Luke's Gospel... Uh, what is it that he wants us to have a conviction about? Well, there are a number of things. I mean, the, the, it's quite clear in Luke's gospel when you read about the things that Jesus says and the things that Jesus does. I keep looking at Jana thinking, is that somebody new? <laughs> when you read about the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did, he clearly is concerned about the poor. He clearly is concerned about the marginalized. He clearly is concerned about the oppressed. He's clearly very bothered about people who are getting a raw deal in life. He's clearly very bothered about religiosity, people who have taken religion and made it into a legalistic rule book to beat people around the head with. He's clearly concerned about all of these things and wants to do something about it to set us free, to set people free from the situations that they're in into a better life. He's clearly very concerned about all of those things. He wants the hungry to be fed. He wants the sick to be healed. He wants the oppressed to be delivered. He wants those who are dying to find life. And, and you can't miss that in Luke's gospel. These are the things that he wants. He's very concerned about all of these things. And as, as Luke writes, he wants us to start to carry that same conviction. That actually, if we are to be a people of faith, and maybe this morning you're not a person of faith. Maybe that's not really interested you. Um, that's fine. I, I hope that you will kind of gain something from this anyway this morning. Maybe you'll get some revelation that you haven't had before. But um, Jesus wants us, as we get this revelation, to actually rise up and become like him. That, that that's the point of writing, that we have such a conviction about the way Jesus was, what he thought and how he behaved, that we start to imitate that behavior. In other words, he holds Jesus up for us to be our hero. Yeah? So I don't know who your heroes are. Um, yeah, thank you. It goes without, really. But... Um, You, you all know, um, or at least most of you know, that I enjoy my golf. Some of my heroes, therefore, it follows, are golfers. And um, I have Sky Sports on, at home, and I record all the big games. And um, very often they have a, a, a team of commentators in the studio, and they will, they'll have a film of guys on the tee teeing off, and they'll uh, do it in slow-mo, and they'll talk about technique and everything else. And I'm always interested when my heroes are up there because I want to see how they do it. I, I want to see their balance. I want to see the, the shape of their swing. I want to see how they're holding the club and how, the difference that that makes. These guys are my heroes because they are really, really good at what they do. 
And so um, I'm interested in seeing the breakdown of that and understanding how they do what they do so that the next time I go out and have a game of golf, I can absolutely blitz everybody else and, uh, you know, drive like McElroy. Uh, it's not working so far, but there is still time. But... But that's kind of what, that's kind of what Luke is after in his gospel, that he holds up a picture of Jesus and says to us, this is what he wants you to be like. He holds up a picture of the way Jesus thinks and the way Jesus behaves, the things that he does. And there is a call there all the way through for you and I to rise up to be like Jesus, to do the same things. We should be concerned about the poor. We should be concerned about the sick. We should be concerned about the oppressed. We should be concerned about anybody who is struggling in life because he gives us a mandate through Luke's gospel to rise up and do something about it. And let me say this. He calls us to do this without strings attached. If the only reason you're going to help somebody is because you want them to be like you and and become a Christian and be a God-fearing person, then you've missed the point. Hello? You've missed the point. Jesus never refused to help anybody over anything. If he saw a difficult situation, he was in there. He was mis- Now, of course, you know, we hope that people will understand that when God touches their lives, that it's God who touches their lives. We hope that people will want to have a conversation about who Jesus is and how he can change their lives and how he can help. We, want, we hope that people will want to have conversations about heaven and what happens when I die and all of those big questions. That is our hope. But we don't push that on people and we don't have that as a string attached to helping people when they are in need because the gospel does not do that and Jesus does not do that if somebody is in trouble he's the first to help and sometimes people want to hang around and say why did you do that but sometimes people take whatever it is Jesus has got to give and then they head for the hills and actually that happens and and Jesus doesn't make any big deal out of that but he keeps reaching out to people to help them in their different situations and he calls us to have the same attitude and uh, to do the same things. And if we hold the conviction, if we hold that certainty that Luke wants us to have when he's writing his gospel, we will become those who will engage with that. And listen, it's not enough just for us to do those things as a church. Now, as a church, we have some great stuff going on. We've got the food bank, we've got the clothes bank, we've got the job centre, we have the cafe, we have kids clubs, we have old people's clubs, we've got the mother and toddler group. I can't remember everything. You know, when I'm giving people tours around the building, I get all the way around and then I forget that I meant to say this there and that there and I forget the community cinema and the community choir and just a great mass of stuff that we're doing to help bring extra value to the community, to help people who are in difficulty, to brighten up people's lives, to show them something of the love of Jesus with no strings attached. Now as a church we're doing those things. But what I want to ask you this morning is this. Are you doing that in your own life outside of the four walls of this church? Because if, if, it, if it just comes down to what we do in here when we're here, then we've kind of missed the point. Because you live somewhere wherever it is you live, surrounded by other people. And they all have needs. They all have difficulties and we as the church are the ones who are called to help people in that difficulty. Now I had a bit of a slap round the face this week because um, there's an old guy who lives um, four or five doors from us 
and um, I, uh, I would see him probably three or four times a week. We'd stop, we'd have a chat. I'd ask him how he is. He'd tell me all these troubles. I'd tell him that I'd pray for him, which of course I do. And uh, he was always very blessed by that and, and uh, really enthusiastic that I would be praying for him. And um, I saw his wife uh, yesterday, I think it was, and I said, how's the old boy? She said he died on September the 2nd. And I had no idea. And I was really, I was quite gutted by the fact that I had no idea because I would have liked to have done his funeral and done it for nothing and, and because I know them, I know some of the family I would like to have been there and helped and done something that had meaning for them, you know, and didn't get the opportunity to do that because I wasn't close enough, because I, was, I hadn't seen him for whatever it is, six weeks and I hadn't monitored in my own head that I hadn't seen him for six weeks. And I had to challenge myself that actually, you know, am I caring enough in these situations? Am I keeping track of people properly? Am I being everything that God is calling me to be? Now, I know nobody's perfect. Don't worry, I'm not doing myself down. I'm just challenging myself. But actually, God gives us a responsibility for the people who are around us. You know, if you're not going to reach their, if you're not going to reach into their lives with the good news about Jesus and the power of the gospel and the help that Jesus wants to give them, who is? If it's not you, who is it going to be? Because God calls you. And if the only place we do it is inside of these four walls, we've kind of missed the point. Now, I think what we do here is brilliant. I'm not undermining that. I'm not doing that down in any way. But if that's all it is, we've missed it. Because it should be finding its way, working out in our lives day by day in the environment that God has placed us in. The place where we live, the place where we work, the place where we have fun. You know, I, I'm, I'm praying at the minute for about a third of the members at our golf club. <laughs> because they all know who I am, they all know what I do. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm out there, if I, if I go up on my own, there's always guys hanging around waiting for a game. So we have a game together. And, um, you know, after you've kind of broken the ice and they've laughed at the way I play for a bit, you know, we have the proper conversations, and which always winds up with, will you pray for me? And the answer is always yes. But, you know, that's, that's what we are called to. Hello? I mean, how often do the people that you work with ask you to pray for them? How often do the people uh, that you work with ask you if there's something that you can do to help in a situation because they know you come from a great church where we care about people and want to help people? But this is the challenge for us, that it has to be more than what happens here. It's also about what happens out there. And I understand it's more challenging out there because in here, actually, it's quite comfortable. In here, it's easy to do those things because we're together, we have faith together, we know what we're about together, we engage with all of this stuff with enthusiasm. People love to come here, people enjoy being here, people know that if they come here, they're going to get helped, whatever the issue is. You know? And it's easy when we're together. The big challenge is when we're not together. The big challenge is out there, where I work, where I live, where I spend my free time. Are you with me? Okay, are you challenged? Okay, that's good. Without conviction, without the conviction that Luke wants us to have, it's very easy for us to waste our lives. It's very easy for stuff just to slip by. I, so uh, it's possible for people to have convictions about all sorts of things. And, um, you know, I, I have some very good friends who are convicted about football. They spend their lives talking about it. They spend their money 
going to watch it. You know, and they buy all the latest kits so that they've got the right thing to wear when they're going to watch it. It's a bit like church, really, isn't it? You know, um, but some people's lives are kind of full of things that they're convicted about, but some people have no conviction at all. And if you have no conviction at all, and I'm, I'm not suggesting we should all get convicted about football, I'm suggesting we should get convicted about something which does more good in the world. Not that I'm anti-football, if you enjoy it, that's great, but it, um, I'm, I'm more concerned that we get convicted about doing stuff which actually changes the world. You know, And if you have no conviction at all, it's very easy for you to waste your life. Because if you, if you live life without any kind of conviction, you are blown about by any wind that comes along. See, living life without conviction is like going sailing without a rudder. Whichever way the wind blows, that's the way the boat is going because you've no rudder to steer it with. And conviction is the rudder that, that gives us purpose, that gives us direction, that takes us to where we want to go. And without it, it's very easy to waste our lives. We get blown about all over the place. We just wind up following the crowd. We become desensitized to things that are going on in the world. You know, I, I'm, it's a great... The media is kind of our best friend and our worst enemy. The media was wonderful in that it opened our eyes to a world of suffering. You know, I, I remember, so the, the really big thing that really got that kicked off was the, um, the Band-Aid thing. You remember all of that? Some of us are old enough to remember that. And uh, the, those really graphic pictures of suffering and poverty and starvation on our TV screens, which we had never seen before. We knew there were people in the world who weren't so well off as us, but we hadn't quite seen that before. And it opened our eyes. But the, the problem now is that we've seen so much of it that we've become desensitized by it. And if we don't live with a conviction about these things, we'll, it's just one more starving child. It's just one more you know, scene of poverty on top of all of the others and we become desensitized to it but if we live with conviction there is something that stirs in us when we see these things that's why we're building schools in Africa that's why we're doing work amongst some of the poorest people in the world that's why we do those things because we have a conviction about who we are and what we should be doing and you know without that conviction it's too easy to become comfortable it's too easy for us just to sit back and do nothing because it's the conviction let me tell you it's the conviction that gets me out of bed in the morning if I wasn't convicted if I hadn't got complete certainty about who we are and what we're doing I would not get out of bed in the morning I would just we've got a TV in the bedroom I would just put the golf channel on and that would be it you know I'd be there for the rest of the day perhaps get up to have something to eat and then meander back and then you know yeah, if the sun was shining, I might go and have a game. Yeah. But I have a conviction about what we're doing. I'm really, so I, I want you to know you've got a really great team here who share that conviction. Um, Russ and Steve and myself have both done in excess of 60 hours this week. We're employed for 35 hours. But it's been one of those weeks where there's been a lot of need and a lot of things to do. And the three of us have, have each worked well over 60 hours this week. Why? Not because we want to be saints, not because we want you to think that we're brilliant, but we have a conviction about what we do. And, and we see situations that need our attention, and so we give them our attention. That's who we are, that's what we do, and we do it because we carry conviction. There is, of course, a conviction which uh, is greater and probably more important than all of these things. And I, I mentioned earlier the question over... You know, what happens when I die? What, what, 
what do we believe about that? Do we have a conviction about that? Because actually those things are fundamentally important to us. Because if, if we think that when we die, that's just the end, that's it. It's kind of, it's game over and the lights go out and that's the end of everything. It kind of renders life a little bit meaningless because what was the point? Why, why did I have to live these? I mean, I'm 60 next year. I'm hoping to live a good few years yet. I need to get my handicap down. That's going to take a while. But, why, but if that's it, why... Why am I here? What, what is this all about? What, what is the point? What is the purpose? Uh, it's very difficult to find answers for those things if you don't believe in something after. And if you believe in something after, then what, what is your conviction about that? What do you think about that? And listen, I, I'm not just talking to visitors this morning. I'm talking to all of us. You know, that actually, if we understand what this life is about uh, and what the next life is about, it will change the way we live this life. It will change the way we view this life. I think that the Bible is quite clear that this life is preparing us for the next life. That what we do in this life will reflect in the next life. It's a bit like that, um, what is it, what was that Russell Crowe movie when he was a Roman gladiator, gladiator, when they're lining up for battle and what he says to encourage his troops is, he has them all lined up, they're about to charge into battle and he shouts out to them, he says, what you do in this life will echo in eternity. And I know that he wasn't talking about Jesus and, and uh, you know, heaven in that sense, but actually what he said was absolutely true. What you do in this life will echo in eternity. This life is about preparing us for the next life. And God is wanting to shape us and prepare us for heaven. Let's call it heaven. We can call it all sorts of things, but let's call it heaven. And how are we preparing for that? What are we doing about that? Are, are, we, um, you know, are we living lives that reflect the goodness of God, that reflect um, you know, the way that God wants the world to be? Are we doing things that bring about change? But more importantly, what are we believing? And that is a challenge for all of us this morning. What are we believing? The Bible teaches us this, and um, let me be very clear about this, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And that salvation from hell, in other words, getting to heaven, is attained by putting your faith in Jesus. It's not about being a good person, and you might think, well, why did you say all that before? Well, I'll come back to that in a moment, okay? But getting to heaven is not about being a good person, it's about faith. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of your own works, lest any man should boast. In other words, in plain English, what it means is this, that you are saved by putting your faith in Jesus, and not by anything that you did, not by being good, not by being better than anybody else, not by giving a lot of money, not by being a nice person, the Bible does not say that that saves you because it doesn't. You are saved because you put your faith in Jesus. Because you put your faith in him as the one who saves. As, as the risen saviour. And not because you've been good. And that's what saves us. It's putting our faith in Jesus. Now, if that's true, then um, all of the things in our lives, the, the things that, that, that we as Christians like to call sin, all the bad stuff that we do, all the bad stuff that goes on, actually no longer has any impact on, on whether or not we get to heaven. A lot of churches don't seem to understand that, but that's what the Bible says. 
that we get to heaven because we've put our faith in Jesus, not because we've suddenly been able to deal with all the wrong things in our lives and suddenly become wonderfully right people. Yeah, it's good news, isn't it? Because I've been trying 40 years to be a good person and it's not worked yet. So, you know, uh, it's good news. But there is, uh, so we don't all get the same eternity. The way we behave in this life echoes in the next. And if we've put our faith in Jesus and we have that security, we have that conviction that Luke is talking about, that we are saved, that we are his people, that we belong to him and he belongs to us, and that when we close our eyes in death, we'll open them again in eternity and see Jesus. If we believe that, we are saved. But what sort of eternity will we have? You know, who will, um, you know, who will be the, the princes and who will be the paupers? Not that there'll be paupers in heaven, you know, not like we have them here. But, um, you know, the, there's not kind of one level, if you like. We don't all get the same thing. We don't all get the same reward. Are you with me? And when the Bible talks about a judgment when we go to heaven, it's not talking about a judgment between heaven and hell because that judgment is already made. You know, you're either saved at the point that you die or you're not. So you're not going to get judged on that basis. That judgment is about what did you do with your life? What did you do with all those gifts that God gave you? What did you do with all those resources that God gave you? And on the basis of that, you will, you know, you will enter into your eternal reward. Now, if for no other reason, and I would like to think that we're all, you know, really kind-hearted and nice people who want to serve Jesus and imitate him just because it's good and the right thing to do. (laughs) Okay, I would like to think that's us. But if you need any other reason, then serving Jesus in this life will give you a better next life. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. And so there is a call on our lives to do these things and there is a reward for rising up to do these things because you and I both know, we all know, that actually these things are not easy. There are people who don't like Christians. I don't understand why they don't like Christians because if they're real Christians, then they should be just trying to help people and do something good. And why would you not like that? But, you know, maybe some of us didn't quite get it right. Maybe some of us upset some people along the journey. But, you know, sometimes people don't like us. And it's difficult because people don't like us. Sometimes people object to us just because we have faith. You know, and I never quite understand that. I, we don't object to people because they don't have faith, so I don't understand why it works the other way around. But sometimes it's difficult to do the things we feel God has called us to do because people don't want us to do it because we are people of faith. Sometimes we have to put up with um, some criticism. Sometimes we, we have to put up with all kinds of things said to us and said about us because people have not understood or because we've made a few mistakes along the way. Sometimes it's not easy. But you and I are called to rise above that and continue doing good. Hello? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was criticized and persecuted across the board. The religious people didn't like him. The non-religious people didn't like him. The people who should have absolutely loved him didn't love him. And he had to put up with it across the board. But he rose above it. And even when people were hating him, he went to them and he helped them. Hello? And we are called to do the same. That if we're going to have faith, if we're going to live with this conviction, 
If we're going to hold our beliefs firmly, then it should do something in us that causes us to rise up above all of that and serve the people who are around us, whether they're nice to us or not. And if we do that, we will get a reward. Hello? Okay. I'm telling you this because, you know, having, having plowed the last 40 years of my life into serving Jesus, I, I, I expect there are a lot of, a lot, a lot of other people who've done much, much better than I have, but I don't expect to be living in a garden shed, okay? I expect to be living somewhere nice in heaven, perhaps, you know, with a south-facing view over the golf course, and, um, you know, maybe with a little swimming pool, you know? And if you don't behave, okay, you're going to be the one cleaning my swimming pool, all right? I'm joking, I'm joking, but you understand what I'm saying, yeah? That Luke writes his gospel to bring us to a place of conviction, meaningful conviction that changes our lives, that we rise up to follow and to be like the Jesus that we read about in his gospel, that we serve the poor, that we feed the hungry, that we clothe the naked, that we give the thirsty something to drink, that we help those who are oppressed find freedom, that we give our lives to this, not just a couple of hours on a Sunday, but we give our lives to this in order that we reflect the goodness of God, in order that we reflect Jesus to the rest of the world, so that instead of us having to say to people, you need to get saved, you need to come to Jesus, people come to us and say, how do I do this? How do I get into this? How do I meet Jesus? Because they see it. And it's our challenge, it's our role to bring that to the world. Are you with me? Okay, I'm done, but we're going to pray before we finish. Because we do need to rise up to this challenge of making the whole of our lives the mission. And uh, so I want to pray over us this morning that God will help us with that. And maybe, you know, if this morning your sole reason for being here is to see Jan losing her hair, Maybe you've never engaged with faith. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe this morning something has touched your heart. Maybe, maybe there's been some revelation for you this morning. This could be the moment for you to meet Jesus. And um, if, you, if that's you and you want to talk about that, there are a number of us here this morning who would love to have that conversation with you. There's no pressure. We're not going to ask you to come out at the front and tell everybody your name and do cartwheels. We don't do that sort of thing here. But if you want a conversation afterwards, please uh, grab one of us and have that conversation. But why don't we stand and I'm just going to pray over us and ask God to help us. <coughs> Jesus, we thank you for your word, for the Bible and all that it has to teach us. And as we begin this journey through Luke's gospel, I pray that you would speak to us, that you'd speak to our hearts to our minds, that you drop things into our spirit that would help us to get a better revelation of who you are, to understand better what it is you are calling us to, and that would bring for us that conviction that will enable us to become the people that you want us to be. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do good for this community. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to bring life where there is death, light where there is darkness, that we would be those who would be willing to serve without any strings attached and not taking count of the cost because we love the people around us the way that you love them. So I pray that you would help us with that. And this morning, Lord, I just I pray for all of us, um, uh, regulars and visitors alike, that you just in these moments would just uh, touch our lives, that you would, Lord, 
open our eyes to see Jesus and Lord that you would help us to to see how to engage with you how to build a relationship with you that would truly change our lives and now I pray that the Lord would bless you if you're not familiar with that language it means that God will make you happy I pray that God will make you happy that he will keep you that he will look after you that he will keep your life straight and in order that he will draw close to you that you would know his presence that in your daily life you would keep bumping into Jesus I pray that he would um, prosper you in all that you're doing that he would grant you success that whatever you turn your hand to you would be successful and do well and I pray that above all things God would give you his peace that as you go through life that the things the pressures and the troubles and the challenges that surround you that in all of that you would have the peace of the living God that would help you and keep you um, safe keep you uh, at peace keep you at rest because the hand of God is upon you and because he loves you so I pray you be blessed in Jesus name Amen Amen